Red Dwarf, episode by episode, because it's a neat show, and we like it. Uh, Longtime fans and newbies alike journey together on the mining ship Red Dwarf into the far darkest reaches of space. My name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And our special guest... G'day everyone, I'm Darren. Sorry. There he is. There he is. <laughs> Hi, Hi Darren. Hello. All right. Well, this week we're going to be talking about a series for episode six, um, Meltdown, which is the season finale. Uh, but before we do that, let's get to know our guest, Darren. Uh, okay. As you can tell by Darren's accent, he's from Cleveland. Um, <laughs> not, not, not really. I think he's from Portugal. Uh, <laughs> yes. Hola. Uh, Darren, tell us a little, a little, a little bit about yourself and maybe your your history with Red Dwarf and. Uh, and anywhere else on the interwebs where uh, someone might be likely to encounter you. Uh, well, as we said on Darren, I'm an Aussie from, well, obviously from down under. Uh, first came across Red Dwarf when I was 21. I was searching the video store for some minute, Yes Minister seat uh, videos. Almost said DVDs, but they were still videos in those days. And I came <laughs> across this silly looking package with a show on it, which I love silly, I love English comedy. So I gave it a try, and I've been hooked ever since. Awesome. So I've always wondered, right. down under what? Everyone else, except the Kiwis. <laughs> oh, yes. And don't worry about that. Tommy they like kangaroo being called down. Kiwis. Sport. Tommy kangaroo <laughs> down. Okay. <laughs> That's a little sample of Rolf Harris for you from Shane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh well, uh, we, it is good to uh, good to finally get to talk to you, Darren. Um, you have been on the Facebook groups for quite some time, so um, welcome aboard. So let's get to talking about meltdown. Shane, do you have the episode synopsis? Of course I do. I always do. <laughs> well, all right then. <laughs> one one Croton discovers a device that can transport the crew to the nearest planet with an atmosphere, they find themselves on a world populated with wax droids. Over millions of years they have broken their programming and formed into two camps which are at war, the heroes and villains of history. The heroes are hopelessly outnumbered without a military strategy until Arnold J. Rimmer arrives to command them. Of course. Indeed. So, the episode begins with Rimmer thrilling the audience with his tale of risk exploits. Okay, and we uh, have I to talk it. about the green turtleneck with a slightly differently colored green suspenders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was actually kind of fashionable at the time, I have to say, very sadly. But remember, this is the time of the mullet for men, so fashion standards were tight. Mm. Remember this time. This was never fashionable. And you know, I was walking through the mall today and seeing how all the kids are wearing these bright neon colors straight out of the eighties. And I wanted to say our generation did our best to kill that. But yeah, the You have <laughs> the a clashing sorry. green. So, sorry, Angela, thing. you have that over there too? Yes. Oh yes yeah. we do. Oh, in fact, a whole store in the mall just opened with nothing but that. Oh. It's like you need sunglasses walking past it. It's it's sort of horrific, yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you can see yeah, them in the dark. It's... 
Someone kill me now, please. I know. The sideways ponytails. The, um... Do you like my ponytail? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just waiting for the denim bedazzled jackets to come back. Oh, I had one of them. I was a heavy metal of fan. Of course you did. <laughs> Everyone did. Well, I, was a heavy... I had one of them. I was a metal, heavy metal fan before heavy metal fans were got, so... <laughs> so you're a heavy metal hipster? Nice. <laughs> cool. Uh, let's see. Yeah, interesting costuming going on here. Um, Lister... Uh, Lister makes an interesting uh, analysis of Rimmer, uh, claiming that he has a mental defect that keeps him from realizing that he's boring. It's mm. possible. I like that. <laughs> um, well, it's because he's so self-involved that he's infinitely interested in anything that has to do with himself. It's true. And doesn't understand why no one else is the same way. We also have to remember before <laughs> computer games were really popular, board games for war games were kind of one of the geek things too. Mm. So sort of a shout out to the parts of the audience as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the beginning, I thought maybe, but before he said, I thought maybe they were talking about a and d game. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, Risk, which is much more fitting with Rimmer's personality and his love of Napoleon. Has anybody ever played Risk? Because I haven't. Yes. I haven't either. It's. I have. It's been a long time, though. Yes, it's, I mean, it's even been computerized. I mean, a lot of the, the sort of more basic computer war games essentially are Risk with a bigger engine and fancier graphics. So mm. Underneath... Where, now, what we you, have played this... Go ahead. Well, what you don't see is the dice rolls, but they are happening in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we have played this game that's kind of similar called Small World mm-hmm. that's really, really yeah. fun and is like... It's sort of risk light with a lot of fantasy elements in it. Yeah. So instead of just trying to take over lands, you're taking over lands, but you you are elves, and that gives you this special ability, and you you know you have this bonus ability, and so or you know you can be elf or dwarf or halfling or it's it's cool stuff. Yeah, and it's infinitely randomized. We need to play that again sometime. We do. We've been digging much lately. <laughs> anyway. Red Dwarf. Um, so, <laughs> Crichton finds a transporter. Because, um, as you do. out of Star Trek. Yeah, like mm. you do, yeah. Laying around. Now, my uh, first theory, initially, was as soon as I saw that, it was like, oh, they're going to try and figure out a way to hook it up to the whole ship and get back to Earth. Mm. Uh, that, that was what I thought. Uh, that's not what happened, though. No. But, yeah, I... It's interesting how they described it that turns matter into... It doesn't just break it down and then take the matter around and put it back up. It changes it into digital information. So I actually thought it would be easier to transport um, Rimmer because he's already digital information. Mm. Uh, see, we got to talk about okay. that. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this See, became a okay. controversy. Okay. This was a thing. So, um, okay. All right. So they decide that they're going to transport Crichton and Rimmer are going to be the advance party, um, and I was thinking, well, no, there's no possible way that they can transport mm. Rimmer. Why? Because Rimmer is a holographic projection from hollow projectors on mm. Red Dwarf. This is established because in Thanks for the Memory, they have to have a hologrammatic projection mm-hmm. cage to have Rimmer on the planet where they can have their mm-hmm. dance party. 
and, and Lister can mm -hmm. play his air guitar. Um, Rimmer has no physical presence whatsoever uh, except for the projectors on Red Dwarf. That's the way it's always worked until they needed it mm -hmm. to retcon. And they retconned the heck out of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to uh, yeah. save yourselves a These lot of headache. Physical presence. Just keep in mind that continuity only works within each series. Mm. But I stopped oh, okay. it when they, when they, they said season. that. Yeah. Yeah. And were they saying light B or light B? B. B E E. Okay. But that when. That makes sense then when he said buzzing yeah. around, but still. But when they said that, okay, I was well, like, what? What? No! No, stop it! What? Yeah. And where is Rimmer's tape then? This all important tape that uh, they wanted the Kachansky tape and that Rimmer hid them. Uh, where is the tape if it's not in Red Dwarf? Um, if it's contained within the light bee, well, that doesn't really make much sense. Or maybe the light yeah. bee has, like, a wireless connection with the tape and Red Dwarf. Well, well, that doesn't make sense, because then it would have to be in constant contract with Red Dwarf, which was 200 uh, b billion light years away at the time. So. Yeah, that's why it's called wireless. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just... Wireless at uh, can travel at the speed of light. So yes, in uh, 200 million years, Rimmer could have started operating uh, once he transported. Yep. <laughs> just theoretically, it never so, comes up in any part of the show, but maybe it's just got a really, really good flash drive in it. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. But yeah, they did this, and then a little later on, okay, which for some reason Holly shows up on the planet, but... Uh, later on, Rimmer changes clothes, which used to be mm. Holly's job to change Rimmer's clothes. He had no authority to do that himself, and suddenly he's in a military uniform. <laughs> I, I was a little frustrated by some of the continuity <laughs> issues there, but anyway. Basic. We'll say that has yeah. been accounted for. Basic. Well, Holly is with them no, as well. Not. You don't really get. Yeah, it. we find that out later. Yeah. Because, of course, she's never shown or has any speaking mm. parts except for one or two lines. Mm. Anyway. Basically, it was just get, they were, it was just getting ridiculous on um, getting too restrictive. So that's why mm. they felt, felt that change it. Well, that happened on Voyager as well. And so they brought in 28th century technology to make a, a port... Well, basically a light bee, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly what the doctor on Voyager had. But... They never. They had already established that Rimmer's protocols were external; that he had no physical presence whatsoever. So, anyway. <laughs> and how can he walk through walls and stuff if he? Ha okay, never mind. So, um, moving on, they transport to mm -hmm. the planet, and we finally get to see the Godzilla bird from finally. the opening. Finally, which are dinosaurs. Kind well, of. It's kind of weird because now actually theory has it that a lot more dinosaurs than yes. first realized were actually feathered, but those creatures are actually from a mm -hmm. Japanese movie. They certainly are. Yeah, they they looked like kaiju, but I couldn't figure out what they were. Bring that up. Um, it, they, uh, did, did, I'm not Japanese, so I'm gonna completely kill the title, but Gappa, G-A-P-P-A. Yep. Or okay. sometimes you'll find it under something called Dayuku Japa. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. It was deliberately bad, just put it that mm, way. Yeah. Playing for the silliness. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Good. Well, I noticed the the change in film quality, so I suspected that might have been the case. Oh yes. So all right. Uh, so there's Godzilla mm. birds, and then we see some Nazis. Gotta um, kill some Nazis. Or yes. get captured by some mm. Nazis. <laughs> So that uh, freaked us out a little bit. Now it was, and we, Angela, you should have heard us trying to figure out what was going on. I mean, was mm-hmm. it a time travel thing? Was it like a dimensional portal where all of these fictional and and real things were coming together mm-hmm. at once? Yeah, up until um, they said Winnie the Pooh, I was like, are they going to say this is the afterlife? <laughs> no, and... this is not lost. Great <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, spoilers. <laughs> You don't even um, care about uh, lost spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it's you know it follows a great sci-fi tradition. Uh, the Enterprise, uh, uh, original Enterprise, found a Nazi planet. Uh, they actually changed history and made sure that Hitler won by uh, saving the life of pacifist Edith Keeler. Um, well, that was an actual so, yeah, you know, past. Yeah. So yeah, that I mean, so that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, mm-hmm. okay, it's going to be some sort of weird time travel thing. And as soon as you throw in time travel, you have to meet Hitler and punch him in the face. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but <laughs> or till everyone is another. Then we see Elvis. Uh, go ahead. What was that, uh, Darren? Uh, or till everyone that he's another. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, Elvis leaps out with Pope Gregory. Yeah. And now, um, as you do, we are from Tupelo, Mississippi, the birthplace mm-hmm. of Elvis Presley. Uh, and, you know, frankly, not a bad Elvis as far as Elvis. At, at first, I thought he was really good. Later on, it felt like more he was doing an impression of, of Elvis impersonators than a, an impression of Elvis. But still, by and large, I appreciated the Elvis. Well, that's actually a guy okay. called Clayton Mark, and he at the time was considered the best Elvis impersonator in the world. Mm. Part of the reason he got the gig. Oh, oh cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, I noticed he, he had his stuff together, yeah. Okay, so uh, just taking on the concept of this whole mm-hmm. place, I sort yes. of love, once we figure out what it is, mm-hmm. and Crichton explains because that's what he does, I sort of love how it's sort of this Disney-fied version of history wherein you hmm. can uncomplicatedly place all of these people in hero land mm-hmm. and all of these other people in villain land and, you know, they will easily fit mm-hmm. into each category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, when things did become sort of bad impressions, I just figured, well, that's how they were programmed. Mm-hmm. You know, their programmers that had this sense. bad impression. So, you know, they, they were like the Hall of Presidents. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to go down the Hall of Presidents and expect accuracy. <laughs> oh, I do. And I, I truly believe that Abraham Lincoln was, in fact, a robot. So. <laughs> uh, no. Go going um, back to the average Presley for a moment. Well, he was in the Flash comics. <laughs> uh, going back to the average Presley um, impersonator for the for a moment. Um, that was his own costume. Um, yeah. And also, <laughs> excuse me. And um, also, some of the some of his lines were actually his own as well. Nice. The nice. I have a cousin who's uh, who's an Elvis mm. impersonator. His the immortal line "You've been wonderful prisoners, you really have" was one of his lines. Yep. Nice. <laughs> nice. And he. I've ex- never been a fan of the um, fat Elvis sideburns rhinestone-y era. I like early Elvis. 
Oh, he's actually still doing that gig ready. too. I mean, uh, what I might do, I might link a link really? to his home page in the group so that people can check it out if they want. Oh, please do. Oh. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, that's been goodness. How many years ago now? Twenty. Yeah. No, uh, nineteen ninety-one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, twenty-two, uh, twenty-three years. Yeah. Awesome. And and talking um, of years, I want I want to talk about this now before I forget. Um, this yeah. was we've been I've been tel- um, holding this off all season, and this is actually when this is actually supposed to have been one of the first episodes shown in the season. Not the not the, mm-hmm. not the season finale. Mm. Weird. Um, this was shown originally uh, in March of 1991. What um, big conflict happened in 1991? I don't know. Oh, that was the oh. great uh, Star Trek War, <laughs> or the Star Wars Trek. <laughs> um, it was the um, it was the Gulf War. Yeah, the, the mm, first yes. Gulf War. Yeah. And it was originally scheduled to go out the same week as Operation Desert Storm was scheduled to start. Yeah. Oh, I see yeah. where this is going. So, because obviously with war, they decided to do a postpone it. That's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also that explains some okay. of the silliness too. I mean, if, pe- if people have read Catch-22... A lot of that was trying mm-hmm. to do genuine war commentary behind a veil of silliness and trying to get things past the fence. So a lot of this is trying to be extra silly so they can get the serious message off. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but we'll, when we get to the end, we can talk about the tone of it. I had some interesting okay. issues there, but um, let's see. Oh, yeah, uh, so, yes, uh, Lister and the Cat... Uh, Meet up with the Nazis. I love that when they teleport into the uh, chimney, Lister always has a lighter in his hand at all times. Mm-hmm. This has been established. <laughs> when, <laughs> even if we don't see it, if he ever needs a lighter, boom, it's there. Just while we're in that... <laughs> That's his superpower. Just while we're at that point, you might have noticed the stifled laugh when he knocked on the wall of the chimney. What was happening there, actually, in the shoot, when he knocked on the wall, it was obviously a wood panel, so the audience yeah. cracked up massively. Ah. They just edited out the wood okay. panel knock and kept the little bit of a laugh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Oh, where were we then? Okay, so yeah, they get tossed into the dungeon. And uh, I'm screaming. Along with... <laughs> and I'm screaming, no, two black guys should not be captured by Nazis. This is going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do wonder why the Nazis would bother building gallows. Seems a bit. Uh... Well, there were other people, like there were Roman soldiers, yeah, that's true. and so it was sort of a hodgepodge. Um, yeah, and then yeah, they see lots of other historical mm. figures and whatnot mm. being executed, and we meet Abraham Lincoln. And mm. when? Because why do? not? And then and then <laughs> Bill and Ted show up. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the so comic yeah, was and that was actually written because Tony Hawk's the actor looks like statues of Caligula, yeah. so he was written as Caligula. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, it's it no see um, mm-hmm. our good old pal Tony Hawk's again. Um, yes. I should point out at this stage, though, we've mentioned before that he was a woman man. 
at this stage mm -hmm. he wasn't the warm-up man anymore um, a lot of other comedians were actually being the warm-up person at this stage including an unknown Eddie Izzard nice. oh, okay I love Eddie Izzard he cracks me up cool alright um, let's see we get to the good guys camp where we see of course Marilyn because the show has a bit of an obsession mm. with Marilyn mm -hmm. um, we see Albert Einstein we see Stan Laurel and I totally l saw the triangles on the board behind him before they introduced him and said ooh Pythagoras and mm -hmm. yep, called it uh, and we find out that they are mm. wax droids who have broken their programming Okay, so they, sort of a blight. they complain that they don't have leadership, mm -hmm. but I counted yeah. not only the recently captured Abraham Lincoln, mm -hmm. who had to have been a leader before he was very recently captured, and doesn't show up in a leadership position at all, and not only that, Queen Victoria! <laughs> you want to talk about leadership? <laughs> like, it's... The empress of most of the world there at the beginning, end of the 19th century. I knew this was coming, folks. <laughs> okay, yes, I'm a Victorianist. I've got a bit of a Queen Victoria obsession. In fact, right now, there's a Twitter account that is uh, tweeting out excerpts from her diaries mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. day, and I'm addicted to it. Uh, she talks about parrots and dogs. And has some racist jokes in there. And I find it really, really funny. Because, mm. especially since she's like 19. But, yeah. She's just standing there. And not saying anything or doing anything. And I'm like, you're Queen Victoria. Come on. Um, according to something... According to an interview um, that I found... Uh, um, uh, Hattie Haveridge was... Um, wasn't required as much but she was at the shoot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to quote the Queen Victoria wouldn't speak to the makeup lady she would speak to, speak to Prince Albert and he'd speak to makeup lady <laughs> <laughs> cute wow yes. method actors wait Prince Albert uh. was there Yes, they didn't make it on the screen. Mm. Ah, okay. I see. Uh, let's see, we find out about the war, we find out that John Wayne, Sir Lancelot, and Joan of Arc have all been slain, mm -hmm. and they're fighting Hitler and Napoleon, which, you know, Rimmer didn't geek out as much as I thought he would yeah. when he found out that there was a Napoleon mm -hmm. bot. Um, and Rimmer finds his destiny to lead the good waxworks against the evil waxworks. Mm. In a glorious battle. I did feel that um, they missed a bit of an opportunity with the Pat Boone line uh, when they mentioned, because I thought they could have gone with, oh no, Pat Boone was one of the first to fall and come up with a, you know, horribly violent death to describe. <laughs> um, but still. Now, fair enough, uh, Elvis Presley is a sergeant there and he did have military mm -hmm. and martial arts training, so. Yep. Uh, a lot of that scene was that re reflective least. of um, the Dirty Dozen as well, so... Yeah. Mm. Sort of paying homage back there, and it's not the only time in the episode. It does so later as well. 
Yeah, and they even mention it by name to. Yep. Um, I did wonder: Does the waxwork Santa have the uh, magical abilities associated with Santa? <laughs> so did they like, you know, give him flying sleds and, and an army of elves? Because I think they could have won with that. Yeah. Um, let me just check my notes. Um, <laughs> nope, it's not in here. <laughs> Alright, and then we get Rimmer's costume change, which he should not have been able to do until later we find out Holly is inexplicably there. What did they transport to get Holly there? Uh, Crichton. Crichton's able, uh, Holly's able to be in, downloaded in Crichton's little monitor thing on his stomach. Sounds Her sexy. entire program. <laughs> well, her entire program can fit on a on a standard four thousand uh, work droid. Well, maybe. I mean, in my lifetime, hard drives have gone from thirty megabytes. To people telling you you'll never use it to what is it, three or four terabytes now? Mm. Yeah, You've got four hundred more years or three hundred more years of progress point of the series. So maybe. So Holly <laughs> is inside Crichton. I think there's a fan fiction coming on. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. I've just got Let's... a disgusting thought in my head. Sorry. I was just going <laughs> to say, slash, warmers, <laughs> slash writers, warm up your hands. <laughs> female, female computer so. inside a, a male droid. That's all I'm saying. Female male. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so, retconning aside, uh, Rimmer comes up with his brilliant plan. A daylight charge over the minefield. Mm. They'd never expect and it. And would never expect it, which is very reminiscent. Uh, you know, I don't even know which came first. Probably this, but uh, Blackadder Season 4. Mm-hmm. Um, or Series hmm. 4. Series 4, yes. <laughs> I wonder what the date is on that. Uh, but this show, at this point, okay, Blackadder was much earlier. Um, at this point, the show was really reminding me a lot of that, that sort of dark uh, commentary about war and the, the realities of it. Um, yeah, it got really dark for me. Mm. Yeah, it was sad. It was very sad. Those apes. Although... No, but so those outside scenes were filmed in November on a very, very, huh. very cold day in a little field just around the corner from the studios. They like oh. to do that. I was thinking that they would play um, Adagio for strings while they were all getting killed. Because <laughs> um, that's what you do, but uh, they, they didn't do that. I did get a happy when Queen okay. Victoria came in with a machine gun to shoot down all the evil leaders and then it's... get shot by Hitler. Mm. Yeah. Nah. Apparently, android I mean, uh, wax bots, much like androids, have white, goopy blood. Mm. Yes. And Rimmer becomes essentially guilty of uh, genocide. Yep. <laughs> Yay! 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 There's a nice laugh. Mm -hmm. Enjoy, folks. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it was really dark for me there. Uh, but um, so uh, everybody dies. 
and uh, Lister swallows uh, Rimmer. Uh, like fan fiction writers, uh, go right ahead. Um, <laughs> I did like the uh, the Elvis theme song rendition at the end. That was mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a. For me, this was a really cool episode, and and I liked all of the all of the um, minor characters. I really liked, uh, you know, the Elvis bits, and and you know, having Queen Victoria with a machine gun and uh, yelling at Gandhi to, to you know win the war. But uh, you know, I, I guess what you were saying there is is a point that they were definitely purposefully dark about it, trying to send a particular point of view about war and uh, the purpose of it. And yeah, just for me, it was I was I found it sort of depressing, almost to the point where even the the good comedy moments, and there were many. I, after the end of the episode, I was like, yeah, I don't want to watch that any, again. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, you know what? What y'all guys think? Oh, go ahead. Uh, at the time, it it didn't really score highly with fans. At the end of that that series, they they did a poll in the official magazine. And it only got 1.3% of the votes, unfortunately. But I think part of that is it's up against a really strong series. The rest of that season mm-hmm. was really, really good. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the mood of the public kind of affected that a bit too, because it, because it was actually a real war happening in the background. A lot of people felt a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Now that you've said that it's sort of a messagey, type episode mm. then I get why I I had problems with it because this was one where I wanted it to focus more on the world they were in mm-hmm. like I wanted to know more about the wax droids I wanted there to be more of them running around you know put more people in funny costumes and you know sort of recount the history of this wax world. I wanted it to be more about the gag and less about the characters, which I know... Which is sort of the opposite of your usual. I know! Completely hypocritical of me, but in this instance, it was such a good gag that could have carried the whole thing. Mm. Oh yeah, there there were a lot of opportunities just for toss-off one-liners about, oh yeah, remember when so-and-so got into a fight with, you know, and just throwing in funny historical figures against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the juxtaposition there. There was there, there was a lot of room for comedy there. And and they took some a lot of those opportunities. Um, but yeah, they, they just ended on such a sour note for me. I was like, yeah. So. I have to admit- I've sort of wanted it to end with all the wax figures running away mm-hmm. instead of running toward. I have to admit, the cynic in me, with all those um, impersonators on the Red Dwarf Center, the cynic in me was wondering who was opening the shopping centers in Britain that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, the end of the episode is um, just like what we were discussing before we started recording the podcast, uh, the visual landing to um, Little Shop of Horrors. Mm. Because yeah, yeah. the visual landing on that film, everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the Audrey mm. Twos are happy. Well, that's yeah. true, but uh, <laughs> that's very, very, that's very, very true. Climbing up the, climbing up um, the Statue of Liberty, but um, uh, but everybody loved, but everybody loved the film up until um, everybody di- everybody dead, everybody dies at the end, and they had to go back and change the ending. Ah, focus group, yeah. focus groups. You yeah. gotta love them. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and sometimes that happens, and it's and it works out for, uh, for good, and sometimes for ill. Um, like I, uh, no spoilers here, but I am Legend, the the movie there, it was working up towards something, had a brilliant point to make, and then they changed the ending, and the whole mm. movie fell apart. So if you have seen the movie and haven't read about the original ending and why it is, just do some googling. Um, but yeah, I don't insist on happy on you know every the ending to everything being happy i really don't i watch a lot of anime and and uh, you know what you, you do that for a while and you learn that not all endings have to be happy to, to make a solid ending cowboy bebop anyone um yeah. but for this show i just was not expecting such a dark turn all of a sudden i mean but you know like i say it's it was a, a good i think there were there was a lot of good things about it all right you know what they should have done they should have had um, episode five be the last episode and this be the next to the mm. last episode. Talking of that, mm. actually, there's one thing um, that we need to talk about, actually. DNA was originally meant to be the season ender. Weird. Um, which, and, of course, we know what happened at the end of DNA. We don't... At the end of DNA, we don't see Crichton going back to being a droid. Do we? Mm-hmm. So that was meant to um, put questions in the viewer's mind whether yeah, when we be a it, it was more it's not really a cliffhanger, so say it was more will he be coming back as a as a droid at the end at the start of series season five or right hmm yeah but yeah all right. Any more points to make about I just got one more, I just got uh, one more point about the the uh, Gandhi. Um, Yay. He wasn't the original actor to play that part. Uh, the first... Uh, I'm going back to that interview with uh, Hattie Hayridge here. They'd originally gotten uh, Bing <laughs> Kingsley. <laughs> uh, the, fir- the first Gandhi they brought couldn't actually get out of the car. Uh, they were going, oh my god, he's having trouble getting out the car. He's, he's like in his 80s. And they were saying, oh no, he's got to do press-ups. He's going to die! <laughs> I think... well, on a freezing cold day, in a in a homespun. Yeah. Well, as Rimmer said, nappy suit, but I don't particularly like that term. But yeah. in, in terms of a freezing cold day, it's not that inaccurate. Yeah. So I... Th- I think that yeah. I think they sort of said, well, thanks for very much for coming, but I think this is a little bit. I think this will be too physical for you, so he was whisked off, and they got another Gandhi who was only marginally younger. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought either the makeup job on that was spectacular, or yeah, yeah. And then the original actor was upset, and so he protested. And let me tell you, that guy knew how to protest. Well, the original actor did get his pay for the day anyway, so... Yeah, he did. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So, that's what we thought about the episode. Let's let's get some feedback in here. And, uh, alright. So we will start with Sam Highland. Uh, there can be only one Sam Highland. Um, the first episode <laughs> recorded... 
but still a decent way of ending the season. It's a fun episode exploring the utter insanity that lies within Rimmer's perceptions of what it is like to lead. Interesting point. Um, the supporting cast in this episode is great, especially fond of Tony Hawk's as Caligu Caligula. And finally, the in-universe explanation of Rimmer's small physical presence, mm. <laughs> which is a complete retcon from everything that has come before so far. I give the episode a 6 out of 10, but not my favorite of uh, Series 4. Our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read right. Ewan's. Um, uh, Ewan says, perhaps one of the silliest episodes so far, but I can't help but like it. Uh, I absolutely love Rimmer's risk campaign stories, however, beside the fun of having various historical and famous figures in wax droid form fight a war, Meltdown does not have quite a serious, uh, does have quite a serious message, critiquing people like Rimmer who see the glory and honor in war. The extras all play the roles well, but I think it's Chris Berry who steals the show, especially with the hilarious troop inspection scene. I'll read Rosses. An interest, an interesting thing is that one of the one of the fans' least favorite episodes, but the cast on the other hand find it one they like the most. I believe it was so much fun to record and act in, so they have good memories of it, rather than being classic episode. Mm. And rounding out, Max Summers says, "There are a few good jokes, but I have to admit it's not one of my favorite episodes." I think it comes down to the fact that in my head I'm thinking, rightly or wrongly, hey dwarfers, get off my lawn and get back into your spaceship. It's saving grace for me is that Crichton just happens to find the matter transporter. Why shouldn't he? For me, the best thing about sci-fi and fantasy is that you can explain away these slightly questionable findings, mutations, etc. with J. Just Did, or It's Magic, or my current favorite, That Has Been Accounted For, yep. Definitely. a method I am currently adopting with my eight-year-old son. I'd be curious to know how, how you work that into your parenting strategy. Um, so in conclusion, if you feel it doesn't make total sense, uh, realize you don't know what the future may hold, enjoy the jokes, and above all else, sit down, do your homework, and eat your broccoli. Rosie. I refuse to eat my broccoli. So, so we've, like we're broccoli. actually giving parroting tips out now. <laughs> yes. The broccoli is actually a bit of a typical reference for the time, too, because if I remember correctly, George Bush Sr. at the time was famous for saying he didn't like yes. broccoli. Yes. And the broccoli farmers of America basically dumped a, a lot of truckloads of, of it on the White House lawn. So. <laughs> That's well, around then, the same uh, time that they tried to count ketchup as a vegetable in schools. And then he famously, uh, when they gave him broccoli at a... Oh, who did he throw up on? Oh, oh no, that was um, the Japanese uh, prime minister. Yeah. Yeah, but it was because he was... They he, they had served broccoli. Mm. Uh, the vomiting incident, yeah. But I'll, yes. I'll give... uh, Sorry, you go. Yep. Anyway... Well, if we finish with that... Enough about... Uh, pre well, there's just one more thing. It's George Bush Sr. actually did get a pwn there because after the protest with the broccoli being dumped on his lawn and then a few weeks later he said, well, I don't like M&M's much either. Unfortunately, he didn't get the truckloads of M&M's. <laughs> <but>. Aww. <laughs> it's nice when leaders have a sense of humour. Yes. Wait, George Bush Sr. had a sense of humour? <laughs> yes. Occasionally. Okay. 
the bushes all have a slight self-deprecating sense of humor. Mostly because they have a lot to deprecate. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh, let's see then. So, uh, that was our feedback. Thank you all for giving us feedback. We always appreciate that. Um, we also appreciate uh, a few other folks who, uh, you know, come onto our shows and have great podcasts and give us stuff to listen to. And so here's a little shout out to one of them. Wake up. Go to work. Work. Come home. Eat dinner. Rot your brain out. Go to bed. Lather. Rinse. Repeat. Are you tired of an old humdrum life? Tired of things that just weigh you down and depress you? Wouldn't you rather just focus on things that are awesome? Tune into Nutty Bites. Find out what's awesome. Nutty Bites. Nimlass.org slash blog. And we are back, and it is time for us to rate this episode. That's right. We have to put some numbers to the madness. And uh, since Darren is our guest, Darren will get to go first. Um, well, I tend to like this a lot more than the average Red Dwarf fan. I'm a big fan of silliness for its own sake. Um, so I'll give it 7 out of 10 scene ceiling Elvis impersonators. Yay! Nice. Um, I actually liked it a lot, too. I mean, I, I think I had some um, uh, problems with it, especially with the directions they took, but I really liked the concept. I sort of wish they had spent more time with the concept, but what they did was fantastic. Um, I will also give it a 7 out of 10 um, machine gun toting Queen Victorious. <laughs> I, like I said, there's a lot of good comedy. I liked a lot that they did. Uh, the extras were fantastic. Um, the general tone of it, though, and the crazy retconning of how holograms work annoyed me somewhat. I'm going to give it, I think, 6.5 bullet-ridden Winnie the Poohs. <laughs> Thanks, Heath. You've just done my rating system. Yes! No way! <laughs> Aww. I'm going to have to come up with another one now, aren't I? But uh, before I before I get there, um, I like the, I have to be honest with you, this is one episode I haven't actually seen for quite a while before I watched this, watched this back for the purpose of this, this review. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot better than my memory. My memory. Yeah. Um, mm. I always remember not liking it whenever whenever I saw it, but watching it back um, over the past few days, I like it a lot. So I'm going to have to give it eight mm. and a half Sergeant Fresas. Awesome. Alright. Okay, well now we have read it. It is time for the quotification of the quoting. Uh, Darren, you uh, get uh, first shot. Okay, um... Lister speaking to Rimmer. Yeah, Rimmer. Right, absolutely. Now all the corpses that litter that battlefield can just lie there safe under the knowledge that they have snuffed it under the flag of peace and can now happily decompose in a land of freedom. Yes, Megan. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, I will go with... Uh, what are those guys doing out there? Oh, they're building something. What? Oh, nothing, nothing. Just a sculpture, you know, a modern art job, like the kind you get in shopping malls. What's it made of? Wood. Sort of an inverted L shape in wood. 
Does it have kind of a rope motif? There's a sort of noosey theme to it, yeah. <laughs> mm, sh- shall I sing the second time this episode? Do okay. It. Arnold Rimmer's Death Machine. <laughs> oh, let's see. What? Which one? Am I going to do? Oh, yeah. Uh, Monsieur Jean-Paul Sartre, sir. Who? He's a philosopher, sir. He's an existentialist. Well, Sartre, we don't take... uh, We don't like existentialists around here. We certainly don't like French philosophers pouncing around in their black polo necks, filling everyone's head with their theories about the bleakness of existence and the absurdity of the cosmos. Clear? That was a very, very good French accent. <sighs> oh, thank you. She actually took uh, high school and college oh, interesting. French. And remember very little of it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. I have a second one. I will go with... Uh, the thing is, Criters, I'd love to be in the advanced scout party, facing all those thrilling unknown dangers with you, forging a frontiersman's path through a jungle of discovery, but you're forgetting one thing. No, sir, I've taken your congenital cowardice into account. <laughs> your Crichton is always very good. I'll, I'll go with another. Almost as good as my Lister. Um, yeah, oh yeah, go ahead, Darren. Iron Duke, this is Pawn Sacrifice. Come in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I still feel there's a solution probably involving triangles. <laughs> Enough already, I've had it with your triangles There's problems in life that can't be solved with triangles Very good Uh, Anybody got a burger? I ain't eating in five minutes (laughs) That would have been good We are doing well on the accents today Well, have a bit of an advantage oh, for the Elvis one. Uh, yeah. Same hometown. Do you think I'm insane? Shall we take a quick vote? Silence, scram! <laughs> <laughs> Very well, Rasputin, bring in the bucket of soapy frogs and remove his trousers. <laughs> Oh, I didn't write down the quote, but I loved uh, Kat's reactions whenever he would be like, um, hey, if it's a gallows, just tell me it's a gallows. It's a gallows. Oh, it's a gallows! <laughs> Build my gallows first. <laughs> and again, in the Cat uh, has an encyclopedic knowledge of 20th century culture, um, he references Tweety Bird. Yep. I'll, I'll continue <laughs> at, uh, Angela's quote here. Um, Look, man, don't panic. We're going to escape. How? Just hijack the guards when they come in, nick their uniforms, and straw it out. Are you insane? Do you seriously expect me to wear grey as a season? I'd rather hang. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of course, they could pass for Nazi guards. They just need to put on the uniforms. Of course yes. they can. <laughs> That's not a nun, Listy. That's Lieutenant Colonel Mother Teresa. 
There's, yeah. o- there's only two two kinds from Assisi. Steers and queers. Which are you, boy? <laughs> oh. oh, good times. Oh, my... Okay. Is that Top Gun or Officer and a Gentleman? Officer and a Gentleman. Sort of... I, I kind of like how Chris Barry played it as sort of a, a semi-Clint Eastwood-y type style as well. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, this is very quotable episode. It's pretty much like yeah, it is. throwing around, thrown around everywhere. Mm-hmm, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Like I say, yeah, it's the it has excellent elements. I think as a whole, the it's equals up to a little less than the sum of its parts. <laughs> For me, other others might feel differently. That's cool too. So, we have quoted uh, the heck out of this one. So, I think it is time to predict what we will be seeing in Series 5. Shane, what is the episode of Series 5, Episode 1? Wait, Hollow, hollow sh- Ship. A- is it... Like H-O-L-O ship or H-L-L-O-W ship? H-O-L-O-S-H-I-P. All right, Hollow Ship. Holograms! Lots of holograms. I think we're going to get a hologram um, ship. It's probably going to be like um, a... Because we've had other things that, you know, were for people's entertainment that became sentient or broke their programming or mm. whatever. It's going to be like yes. a giant holodeck type thing that was supposed to be like a cruise ship that all of the people died and only the holograms are around. And Rimmer is going to think... This is going to be his new home. I am thinking um, that, well, actually very similar to that, but maybe referencing a Star Trek episode as well, as I tend to do. Um, as you do. There was, that, there was that episode where they found a race of light-based beings um, that got into their holodeck and thought that they were holograms and didn't know what was what and was like attacking the ship because every time they ended a program they thought they were committing mass uh, murder mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I'm seeing here that it's going to be a race well not a race because no aliens so far in this whole show so yeah. probably created by humans but a civilization of rogue holograms um, that's, that, that's what they are floating around in space holograms and they're going to encounter red dwarf and see rimmer and uh yeah it's going to be like a species that's very intrigued I by the fleshies the episode that you're referring to is called um do 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 emergence was it was it a voyager episode yeah it was, it was, it was a voyager oh, episode wasn't it and it could sorry um I think each of the modern tricks mm. is an episode of the thing. So remember DS9 did one where Odo and Dax landed on a planet basically mm. populated by holograms as well. Yeah, but that's Ooh. DS9. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey, a lot of folks say the same about Voyager, which we're we're more fans of. So, no. uh, okay, it's a question of photonic life forms then and... Uh, yes, there are photonic life in Delta Quadrant cultures, body and soul revolution. Okay. I don't, don't want to sit here and yeah. read the Star Trek wiki to try to figure out what I'm remembering, <laughs> but yeah, that that was the gist of it anyway. So yeah, that's my guess. A, a civilization of hologram people 
that uh, are maybe going to try and rescue Rimmer from his uh, fleshy enslavers as they will view Red Dwarf. Okay. So there you go. I still think we will find out. Sex spots. <laughs> Tune in next time when we find out where the heck is Paul? Where <laughs> Heath and Angela write about? <laughs> actually, we never actually addressed that, did we? Um, yeah, Paul could not make it this episode. We hope he will uh, be able to join us next week. Uh, as we get into series five um thank you for joining us and we will see you next time darren thank you for stopping by thanks for having me it has been a hoot and uh maybe stop by again sometime i I don't think we've got everything booked up yet have we oh and people can reach us in various ways oh my goodness we didn't do that bit okay you can reach us on the Facebooks at the Red Dwarf Intro Cast. You can reach us on the emails at uh, the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can Twitter at us at twitter.com slash Red Dwarf Intro. And we're going to end this thing in under <laughs> there is an hour. A, there for there the is first also time in a spoilers group on the Facebook. Yes. If you are a Red Dwarf uh, longtime fan, unlike Angela and I, who are newbies, then uh, you can talk about. Uh, how silly Angela and I are and wrong about and everything believe... on the spoilers group. Uh, I, I didn't really cover where else you can find me on the net because it would have taken about an hour for that part, so I'll leave a couple of links <laughs> underneath the, the broadcast. Awesome. Yes, do that. Yeah, yeah. send me a, I can put it in the show notes if you want. I believe, uh, Angela, you've got another podcast part. coming out soon. Do you want to tell the listeners about it? Yes! Oh. Yes, I do. We are starting a Sherlock Holmes reading podcast and in fact have recently what? gotten a newbie so it will be a true intro cast uh, look for us on the Facebook group at uh, Through the Pages of Sherlock Holmes um, I will put a link up to it in the Facebook group it's going to be great we're going to record every uh, couple weeks and you know take the books and the short stories a few chapters at a time so I will along. not be in. Yeah, I won't. I won't be an official part of that podcast, but um, I might just drop in on the short stories that are my favorites, because uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in the same house and she can't stop me. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. So, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it too. Uh, uh, one one thing about my wife, she knows her Sherlock. So I do. All right. Bye. See y'all next week. Goodbye. See you later.